0: Welcome to week three, our final week of a series that we have called Born to Set People Free. Uh, if you're a guest or you just happen to join us online, welcome to you as well. Uh, typically, our lead pastor, Pastor Rob Ketterling, is uh, is the one that teaches, but from time to time as the campus pastor here at Apple Valley, uh, I have the privilege of speaking, and uh, I'm really excited about this morning. Uh, I have been preparing for this. Uh, in fact, a little while ago, uh, I was reviewing my notes, and my six-month-old was uh, squealing the entire time, which I think was a good sign, and uh, my two-year-old was singing at the top of her lungs, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and felt the need to rearrange the Christmas tree. Uh, All the while, my wife was eating a bowl of Captain Crunch cereal, trying to keep the kids quiet, so whatever this service can throw at me, I'm just going to roll with, I think I've got it, it's going to be all right, so if you get a little rowdy, I'm good with it, it's all good. Uh, so uh, let me just summarize, uh, bring us up to date here if you're joining us uh, for the first time. Uh, we have been looking at Old Testament prophecies about Jesus that point us to Jesus. And uh, and a prophecy is uh, not a vague generality. A prophecy is uh, foretelling of what is to come, a specific prophecy. Prediction of the future. Again, this is not a vague generality, something that is commonly known, like if you go out in the rain, you're gonna get wet. That's just known. It's also a fact that if you wake up in the middle of the night, you will stub your baby toe. Um, It will feel like your femur bone broke in half. These are just known facts, and there's nothing special about them, but what makes these Old Testament prophecies special is that they literally name a historic place and give specific names What makes it even more special is that these are foretold, in some cases, hundreds and thousands of years prior. This is just one thing that separates the Bible massively from any other book, any other religious book written. Now, in this series, uh, we have actually been looking at all of these prophecies in the reverse order, leading us up to the birth of Jesus Christ. And uh, hopefully this isn't a spoiler alert to too many, uh, but we are going to be talking about the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas Eve. Amazing story. You're not going to want to miss it. Greatest story you've ever heard, so uh, come to Christmas Eve. Uh, Lots of options there uh, here at this campus. But um, our prophecy is just given to show off how great God is And he is, but uh, is there a bigger point? We have made the point that Old Testament prophecies are given to show us, to build our confidence that God has a plan, and that plan cannot be stopped. Uh, I want to, as I was studying for this uh, uh, sermon today, I came across something that surprised me that I'd never read before, and it helped me put these Old Testament prophecies into perspective, and I think it's going to surprise you as well. There was a group of students at MIT that calculated the probability of one individual, namely Jesus Christ, fulfilling any one of these Old Testament prophecies given the time and all the circumstances. They continued to uh, calculate the mathematical probability up to eight, now keep in mind that regardless of your belief in the Bible or Jesus Christ as a savior, they're calculating this based on the literal historical Jesus that has been proven. When they calculated this, they found that the probability was 1 in 100 trillion. 1 in 100 trillion with a T. I know you're thinking it, so I'll say it. So you're telling me there's a chance? No, I'm not telling you there is a chance. It's impossible. The probability is mind-boggling. In fact, uh, if you, uh, to put this into perspective, if you covered the entire state of Minnesota with silver dollars, just pick one silver dollar, mark it, throw it back into the mix, and now mix up all the coins across the entire state of Minnesota. Blindfold yourself, hop into a plane, fly yourself up over Minnesota, put on a a parachute, hop out of the plane, pull the string, land safely on the ground, and then randomly pick one coin, you've got one shot. The probability is better that you will find that one coin than fulfilling eight of these Old Testament prophecies that have proven that Jesus Christ did these. But the crazy part is he didn't just fulfill eight of them. He fulfilled over 360 Old Testament prophecies that have been proven. In fact, I asked my life group leader, um, who is a quantitative research analyst, which is a a classy way to say he is a math dork, um, mean all the respect, I love him, I love him like crazy, Brian, love you, no disrespect, to calculate the probability of 360 Old Testament prophecies uh, being fulfilled by Jesus. Um, I'll admit that after the first sentence of nerd speak, he lost me and I got bored. Um, so I can't repeat what he said until he got to the end and gave the bottom line. He said, barring a supernatural miracle, the probability is virtually zero. He goes, I don't have a tool that can calculate that probability. It's impossible. If that person were like you and me, but that person is not like you and me. That person. Is God and God can do the impossible when the greatest of odds are stacked against him let me say that again Jesus Christ can do the impossible even when the greatest odds are against him so today I just want to look at three more Old Testament prophecies and see how they affect us and apply to our lives today again prophecies are not vague predictions broad generalities these prophecies given give specific names and historical places. The first one prophesied that Jesus would be called out of Egypt. We read this in Hosea, the Old Testament book of Hosea 11.1. 1. It says this, when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. Now let me just set the stage for you before I read Matthew 2. Um, there was a very insecure king in that land. This king was paranoid He sent out a decree over all the land that every boy under the age of two was to be killed and slaughtered. This is the setting that Jesus came into. Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I had called my son. So we see that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy by being called out of Egypt. But is there something more significant about Egypt? What is the relevance of being called out of Egypt? In the Old Testament, it is important to note that Egypt was synonymous with the land of bondage and slavery of God's people. Over and over in the Old Testament, we see that God's people, through their own disobedience and their own pride, got themselves into a land of bondage and slavery. And God would have to send a deliverer, Moses and others over and over and over to free them. But in Hosea, The prophet points to a coming, a new era, a new era of salvation that would bring ultimate freedom and lead them back to their true home. This prophecy points us towards the end of exile and bondage into a new home, a new kingdom free of slavery. The Messiah, the Savior, has come to lead people back to God, freeing them from the depravity of their own soul. I know that there are some secularists here that would say, "I don't need a savior." I've got a big house, I've got a great, great family, I've got a great job, I've got everything that makes me happy. The one thing I know is I don't need a savior." There's moralists here that would say, "I can work hard enough. I can create enough habits in my life to be good enough. I don't need a savior. If this is the case, why throughout history, rich and poor, educated and not, keep destroying each other and destroying their lives over and over and over? I believe it's because what scripture teaches us. Scripture teaches us that we are all imprisoned by our sin, our own self-righteousness. While some might be having a better time in exile, all humanity needs a savior and it is unable to save itself. The good news is that Jesus Christ came to set us free. Jesus is the one that God chose to bring people out of ultimate bondage, much greater than Egypt, but the bondage of sin and slavery. He not only wants to take you out of Egypt, he wants to take the Egypt out of you. He wants to free you from the bondage of sin and only he is able to do that. Sin is a foreign land that God never intended you or me to ever live in. I love what the modern day theologian genius man N.T. Wright says this the story of God's peoples carry God's people carries at its heart a single theme, repeated over and over in different contexts and different points of view, it is the story of going away and coming back home again. It is the story which Jesus consciously told in his words, his actions, and ultimately in his death and resurrection. I know this time is a time where many will travel home. My family's going home to Phoenix, and I know some are coming back here. Some of us grew up in a home of peace and love and warmth. Some grew up in a home of pain and strife. No matter what your background is, can I tell you that the home that all of us long for, a home that we belong, a home that gives us true peace and true joy internally and relationally can only be found in God's family, in God's house. Can I beg you this Christmas, if you're away from home, come home. This is the home that you're longing for. God wants you in his home, in his family. He's begging you, come home. He never intended you to live outside of his home. Come back home. The second prophecy I want to look at admittedly is a little heavier, but it's important to note. This prophecy says that Jesus' birth will be accompanied with great suffering and sorrow. It's prophesied in Jeremiah 31:15. It says this: Thus says the Lord: a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. This is fulfilled in Matthew 2, 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Now, first of all, this was a detestable king. You learn in history that Herod didn't just kill all the children two years and under, but he killed anyone that potentially threatened his throne. He killed his three sons, and he killed his favorite wife. Now let me just step aside and give you some pastoral advice. I would recommend that you never use the words favorite wife. There are so many many levels of wrong with that. I mean, it implies so many things that we would never endorse, ever, and the Bible never endorses, so please never, ever use the word, you can tweet that, favorite wife, don't use it. Um, But seriously, what a horrible, horrible scene. This is the scene, massacre, terror throughout the entire land. All the kids, two years old and younger, have been slaughtered. This is the scene that Jesus Christ, the baby, the savior of the world, entered into. Not exactly the same serene, peaceful image that we get when we go to our kids' Christmas plays or that are told in the movies. But this is the actual scene that Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, pain and suffering surrounding Jesus Christ stepped in to save the world. Let me say this about pain and suffering. Everything on earth was trying to stop Jesus from coming. This king was so paranoid that with all of his power he tried to shut down Jesus but nothing could stop him because he had a plan. In the midst of this pain and suffering Jesus prevailed. If you read through the gospels we see that Jesus Christ was very well acquainted with pain and suffering. He suffered sadness, pain, betrayal, loss, extreme anxiety, uh, ultimately torture and death. Jesus understands your hurt and your pain more than anyone. For many, Christmas and New Year's is the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, sadly, it is the most painful time of the year. It reminds you of deep loss. The Bible says that when we hurt, he hurts. When we grieve, he grieves. When we cry, He cries. Can I just say for anyone that's watching online and anyone that's here, you're dealing with extreme anxiety and depression and sadness and loss. Don't turn from Jesus, turn to Jesus. He understands your pain and your hurt more than anyone. Don't give up, don't let go. I know from personal experience, the nights are long and they're lonely and they're scary and you're not sure what the future holds, but don't give up. I'm telling you, God has a plan and it will prevail if you don't give up. He will bring you through it. Don't give up. Turn to Jesus. We read in John 11 that when Jesus heard about the death of his friend Lazarus, Mary, Lazarus' sister, came and said, Jesus, my brother Lazarus, your friend, died. And it says two words. Jesus wept. Did Jesus weep because he was confused, because he was surprised, because he didn't know what was going on? No, the Bible says none of that. He knew that there was a greater plan at work. But Jesus wept because he knows the pain of hurt and loss. And when you weep and you hurt... Jesus Christ is weeping and hurting. You can turn to him. He understands your pain more than anyone. In fact, he does more than understand your pain. He has a plan in the midst of it. In Romans 8:18, 8, it says this. Our present suffering is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, God is working a plan that is much greater, more grand, and more glorious than you could ever predict or ever imagine. Don't give up. Turn to Jesus in the midst of your pain and suffering. He is well acquainted with it. The last prophecy I want to talk about, it's a pretty big one. It's an audacious one. It's hard to get your mind around, but it prophesied in Isaiah 7 that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7:14 is where we read this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a young woman is with child and shall bear a son. And shall name him Emmanuel. Now, if you're like me, when you read that, you'll notice it says nothing of a virgin. So when you dive a little bit deeper, when you do a little bit more research, you'll find out that virtually all of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, there is two Hebrew words for the phrase young woman. One word that can be used refers to a young married woman. Another word that can be used for young woman is referring to an unmarried virgin. In Isaiah 7:14, the word used is alma, which literally means unmarried virgin. So this verse can literally be translated, "Look, an unmarried virgin is with child and shall bear a son." We see this fulfilled in Matthew 1. Matthew 1:18 1, through 23. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they had lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now, let me pause there and just make this real. Joseph was about to kick Mary to the curb. I'm just going to say it. Now, I'll just say, I think he would have regretted that decision, kicking the soon-to-be mother of the Savior of the world to the curb. His reputation in history in the Bible would have taken a major hit. I think he would have regretted that big time. But God did a miracle, sent an angel to step in and do a miracle in their marriage. Let's pick it up. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, So again, Jesus fulfilled this prophecy given hundreds of years before it was fulfilled in Jesus. Now granted, this is a pretty audacious, crazy claim. But if one word, God can create and sustain this universe, I think he has the power to miraculously enable a virgin to give birth. There's a lot that could be unpacked in this prophecy, but there's just two points and applications I want to make for us today. The first one is that God wants and loves to use unlikely people. We see that the shame and disgrace of Mary and Joseph's situation was just too much for Joseph to handle. And this verse said that he had resolved to dismiss Mary. But God did a miracle and saved their marriage. Can I just say that some of you here, there is a lot of shame and disgrace in your marriage. And you have resolved in your heart end your marriage. You may not have spoken it to your spouse, you may not communicated it to your kids, but in your heart you resolved it. God did a miracle in the marriage of Mary and Joseph, and I believe that God can still do a miracle in your marriage. Do not give up. He can heal what you think is impossible to be healed. He can restore what you feel like is lost. He can do the impossible, even when you cannot comprehend it and figure it out. If you hold on to Jesus, if you turn to Jesus, he can do a miracle in your marriage. Do not give up. We also see that in the scripture that Mary and Joseph felt unworthy to be used by God. They experienced shame and fear and wanted to give up, but they didn't and God used them, these two very unlikely people, to bring about the savior of the world into this world. Do not let the shame of your past sin or the fear of future stop you from being used by God. He wants to use you. He loves to use unlikely people. In fact, it's not about you or me anyways. It's about God, and he can do anything he wants. He loves to use ordinary people. The second point that I want to make is that God wants to make it personal. Yes, he's the creator of the universe. He's grand, he's great, but he's personal. I don't think he could have better illustrated this than by sending us his son, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh and to dwell with us. God with us, Emmanuel. All through the Gospels, whenever you read about Jesus Christ, it didn't matter who it was, rich or poor, young or old, society's elite, society's outcast. Jesus Christ stopped and had time for them. He engaged with them. He talked with them. He wanted relationship with them. I'm talking about a choice, a relationship. I'm not talking about religion because, in fact, Jesus most harshly talked about religion. These are a set of rules. These are set of obligations. These things restrict you. They burden you. And he came to set you free from that. He said, I have come to set you free from all of that. It's not about religion. It's about a choice. And Jesus is saying, will you choose me? I am the one that can set you free. I am the one that can give you peace. I am the one that can give you the freedom, the home, the belonging, the peace, everything you've been looking for. Choose me. I am the only one that can do it. It's a choice. It's not a religion. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world. I was reminded of this, how great God is, but how personal he is. Just on Tuesday, I got an email from one of the missionaries serving in Cairo, Egypt. Just last uh, month, we sent a team uh, to work there with 27 missionaries in Cairo, Egypt that uh, that we support there. Some ladies from our Savage campus, you can't calculate the odds of this, this is just crazy. I'm not making this up, I could show you the email, I'm not, but I could show you. 27 uh, ladies, these ladies at at our Savage campus can confirm this, but 27 ladies heard about this team going to Cairo. They decided that they were going to make these little goodie bags uh, filled with Christmas treats and just slip a note in there and say, Merry Christmas, God loves you, we're thinking about you this Christmas. They filled up all these bags with all kinds of Christmas goodies from home. They filled up 26 of the 27 bags and they ran out of this certain kind of candy. So one lady had some extra candy in her purse. So she takes the extra candy and fills up the 27th bag, one bag different from all the other 27 bags, or 26 bags. They pack up these bags, they take them over to Cairo, they randomly pass them out to these missionaries' wives. They're opening them up. One very homesick, young missionary's wife is opening up her bag. And she looks around the room. She sees that her bag is different than the other 26. And she speaks up and says, this is crazy. The candy that's in my bag that's not in your bag is the exact same candy that my parents used to only give me on Christmas morning." What are the odds of that? I didn't have my dork life group leader calculate the probability of that. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't want to be bored again. But I'm sure the odds are ridiculous. But here's the point. I don't care what the odds are. I know that God loves Sarah enough to say, Sarah, I'm going to do something so simple for you It's going to speak so profound to say, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I haven't forgotten you. I'm saying today, maybe Jesus Christ has put me up here today to tell you that he loves you, he hasn't forgotten about you, and he has a plan. And you think that plan can't happen, but there is no odds that can stand about against Jesus Christ. He can do the impossible and if you read every one of the 360 Old Testament prophecies, they are fulfilled and confirm that Jesus Christ can do the impossible and he can do it in your life. He did it then and he can do it now and he will do it in the future because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ can do the impossible. I wanna finish with this uh, beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture that I think sums up this entire series I think it sums up the gospel of Jesus Christ so perfectly. It's found in Isaiah 1, 7 through 10. It says this, Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such great, great delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. Jesus Christ was born to set you free. Will you this Christmas let Jesus Christ set you free. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to ask, maybe there's a few people here I would say, I want to come back home. I want to belong. I want to be free of this shame, the guilt that I have in my life and in my heart. This world can't offer you that. Only Jesus can set you free of that and he wants to, he's begging you, let me set you free. If you wanna be set free this morning from the guilt and the shame of your past, the things that you have done wrong, maybe you've never spoken of them, but you wanna be free from that, I wanna ask you just to simply raise up a hand and I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna acknowledge your hand right now, hands going up all over the place, right in the middle here. Ma'am, young little girl, I see that hand. Ma'am, I see that hand right up front here. Um, right up front here to my left. Sir, I see your hand there. Way over to my right, I see your hand. Sir, I see your giant hand right there. Way over here to my right, I see your hand. Right up front, I see your hand. Jesus Christ wants to set you free. He is able to set you free. Over here, I see your hand. Anyone else, way, way, way in the back, in the very back row, I see your hand. Right up here on the front row, I see your hand. Too many hands to count. Anyone else? Merry Christmas. It's the greatest gift that you'll ever receive. You can put your hands down. Will you stand with me? Prayer teams, can you make your way forward? For those that raised your hand, I want to ask you to do two simple things. Before you leave, will you get this now? What book? Um, it tells you now that you have made this decision to follow Christ. You've want you've asked Him to set you free. Get this book. It's just going to give you the next steps that you need to take. We have it at the welcome center. The ushers have it. A prayer team member is up front here. Um, they'll have it. Uh, Second thing I want you to do, before you go to bed tonight, tell someone that Jesus Christ has set you free. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's your life group leader. Um, maybe it's one of the ushers. Maybe it's a prayer team member. Tell someone that Jesus Christ has set you free. Thank you guys for, uh, for coming this morning. Uh, this season, let's remember that Jesus Christ came to, uh, to set us free. Hope to see you at Christmas Eve. God bless you. Have a great day.